Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, thank you guys so much for that. As Ryan said, my name is Carrie, and I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight and bring the word. I think the Lord has something really special for us tonight. Uh, if this is your first time, or, or maybe you've only been coming a couple times, I'm excited that you're here tonight because uh, maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, I don't really know about this whole Jesus guy, or, or I've thought about it before, but I, I just don't know what I think about Jesus. Maybe someone just drug you here for the first time and you're kind of like, I don't know why I'm here. This is a good night for you to be here because I think God really wants to to speak to you and speak to your hearts tonight. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different for us. Uh, it's 7:11 right now. I'm going to preempt 7:14, and we're going to pray right now for a minute. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah, let's do it right now. We're going to pray for our city. So. Uh, a little bit about me. I grew up a couple hours south of here in the Cocoa Beach area, uh, and I started going to a church when I was in ninth grade. I, I went on a mission trip, uh, and it changed my life. I started following Jesus at that point. I, I had known Jesus before, but I didn't start following until then, uh, and so really got plugged into my church, was a leader in my church. God called me into ministry when I was 16, uh, and so really did a lot with our student ministry, um, and and there was one trip in particular that I want to tell you guys about tonight. When I was a senior in high school, we went on a mission trip to North Carolina. Uh, and by that point, I knew, hey, I'm going to college. Things are going to be great there. I, I'm going to go study uh, to become a pastor. And so we go on this mission trip to North Carolina. And the whole point of this trip was uh, we were going into these underprivileged places uh, where people needed help with their homes. They needed repairs done, uh, and they couldn't physically do it, or they couldn't afford to do it. And so our, our student ministry took about 50 kids, and then we, then we went to this place, and there were about four, five, six other student ministries there. So there were about 300 students total at this place in North Carolina, and they'd send us out to these different places. And I remember for us, we got to actually go, and we redid the roof of this gentleman's house. Like, we stripped all the shingles off, we took and patched holes in it, and it was really cool. We were up on this roof, and we thought it was awesome. Uh, and then where we stayed, it was an old schoolhouse. And this old schoolhouse, it had kind of been converted to be this ministry center. And it was three stories high. Just mute it because we already did it. See, look at that. We are ahead of the game. You are overachievers tonight. Uh, so we had, we had this cool place that, that we were staying. It was old, but it was rustic, and, and it was three stories high. There was a ball field out, out on the side. Then there was this little patio area that at night everyone gathered because this was the middle of the summer. It's like 95 degrees outside. So by the time we got done being up on roofs and all of that, everyone's tired. They're exhausted. And they just hang out in that area. And so my friend Stephen and I, we had this fantastic idea. We thought we were going to be such a blessing to everyone. Uh, it was Thursday night. We'd been working all week. Everyone's hot, tired. And so we uh, somehow happened upon about 200 water balloons. And so we went to the basement of this place, and we started filling. And we must have filled water balloons for an hour. We filled up a whole 50-gallon 
trash bag full of water balloons, and then there was this bell tower that just conveniently overlooked the portico where everyone gathered at night. And so he and I lugged all these water balloons up on top, and we thought, this is going to be great. Everyone is going to be so excited because they are hot and sweaty and nasty, and they just want to be cooled down. And we proceeded to launch probably 200 water balloons out of the bell tower and just watch as everyone scattered like ants, just running and screaming and yelling. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life up until that point. The joy from my friend Stephen and I it was just uncontainable. And honestly, we were kind of like... That song wasn't really out then, but that's basically, that was the feeling of just overcome joy that we had, uh, of seeing everyone below scream and just scatter and head for cover. Uh, we decided at that point it was probably good for us to make our exit, uh, and we went out the back door, and we kind of ran. There were some woods along the backside, and we were like, yes, the like pinnacle, crowning achievement of my high school career was this moment. Um, and about that time, one of our other friends kind of came up. They had found us. They noticed we snuck out the back. Um, and some time had passed here, maybe about 20 minutes or so, and they came up to us, and they were saying, hey, um, I don't think that was such a great idea. And of course, we were like, no, 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 it was great, it was great, it was great. And they said, no, really, like, the camp, the people running the camp, they're, I think they're going to kick our entire student ministry out tonight. And Stephen and I looked at each other, and we were kind of like... And uh, just this feeling of, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? And so we start talking about this. We're like, that's not quite what we were planning to have happen with, uh, you know, we just thought we were helping everyone out, right? And so we start talking about, all right, so what are we going to do at this point? We contemplated whether we would just sleep in the woods that night. That didn't go far. Um, and so we finally realized, all right, we're going to have to go face the music on this, and we're going to have to go, like, figure out what, what happens next. And so we walked, kind of took this long walk around. It's like the walk of death. And we're walking back up to the schoolhouse, and we see our youth director, and we see the camp directors. They're, like, standing at the entrance, like, waiting for us to come. Uh, and so we begin walking up, and we get close enough to see their faces. And honestly, I can only imagine they were like, yeah, clearly we have bad blood. Um, so we went and had this sit-down meeting, uh, and, and what had happened was we had clearly broken some relationships that night. The trust I have with my youth director broken. The trust with those camp directors, broken. All in one night of throwing some water balloons. Uh, we sat down with the camp directors. Uh, we apologized profusely. We groveled. Uh, we spoke of how we would never do such a thing again. Um, 
And they graciously said, all right, well, you guys can stay, but we don't want to hear anything else. It is possible there were a couple other things that happened earlier in the week, but that's a story for another time. So we, at that point then, got to go sit down with the other 50 students in our student ministry. Because you see, we hadn't just broken the trust of our youth director and the camp directors. We almost made them have to all go home early as well. And so we got to face them. And again, we had broken those relationships. We, we had done something that we thought was like, oh, no problem. This is going to make life great for us. And and in doing that, we had broken the relationships of all those people there. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find breaking relationships as kind of a human thing. I haven't really met someone that hasn't had a broken relationship. If I asked you guys to raise your hands tonight, I think everyone here would say, yeah, I've had some bad blood with someone, right? You've had some bad blood that either you created or they created. And regardless of what that was, I, I don't know, maybe for you it was, maybe it was with a parent or with a teacher. Maybe you lied to them and they found out. You remember that feeling when they confronted you? A little awkward, yeah? Maybe it was a friend, or they used to be a friend, until so you stood them up or talked about them. And it just created this uncomfortableness. And then, do you remember the next time you saw them? Maybe you even apologized. But the next time you saw them, it still wasn't quite right. You could kind of tell, yeah, we may have like kissed and hugged and made up. But things weren't quite the way we thought they should be. You see, that's what happens when our relationships, when they break is that even though we try our best to put them back together and try and put Humpty Dumpty back together, it never goes back quite like it was before. And if you've been coming for the past number of weeks as we've been in the book of Genesis, you know there have been some broken relationships in this story, right? I mean, you got Joseph, he's going and telling his brothers, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me. That never goes well. Then you got the brothers. They're trying to kill Joseph. And, they're try- and then they end up selling him into slavery. And then Potiphar's wife. And then there's just mess and chaos. And so in all of this, you, me, all these guys in Joseph's story, in the story of Genesis, there's just broken relationship. And there's just awkwardness that then comes from those broken relationships. And what I want to do tonight is as we kind of close up in the book of Genesis here, we're going to to be in the last chunk of Genesis. I want to take another look at Joseph's brothers because I think you and I, we have a lot in common with Joseph's brothers. Now, I'm not saying that you tried to kill someone and sold them into slavery. That's not what I'm saying. And if you have, come, let's talk afterwards. But what I am saying is, you and I, just like Joseph's brothers, you and I break relationships. 
And when we do that, it creates an awkwardness that we just have a hard time getting over. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up. We are going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 49. If you don't have a Bible, someone will pass one to you, or you can look it up on your phone, or it's going to be on the screens for you. So Genesis, chapter 49 in the past couple of weeks, we've heard about how Joseph and his brothers, they came back together, and Joseph loved them, and he forgave them. And then last week, hearing about just Joseph's immense power in Egypt. And so this week, we're going to really start to wind this story down. And in chapter 49, we're going to start at verse 29, but everything preceding this is Jacob, Joseph's father, giving his final instructions to all of the brothers. And and Jacob is saying to each of them, hey, here's what I have to say to you and to you and to you. I encourage you in your life groups this week, go back, read everything that Jacob had to say to them. But we're going to pick up for the sake of time right at the end here. And it says, then he, who's he? Jacob. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. So Jacob's saying, hey, I'm going to die. I'm on my way out. I'm leaving you guys. He said, bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. Makes a lot of sense, right? Good. All right. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, let me just just stop right there. So this is it. This is what Jacob has said. If he's got something important, he just said it to these guys, his sons, right here. That's going to be really important in just a minute. So when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. He died. And that's, that's the end of Jacob. And so then in chapter 50, Joseph and his brothers, they do exactly as Jacob has asked. They take him up to the land where his forefathers are buried. They bury him there. And then we're going to jump ahead to Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. So they've had the ceremony at this point. They're kind of ready to get back to Egypt where Joseph is still kind of the big deal. And that's where we're going to pick up. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, what do we know about this story up until this point? They've already come to Joseph. They've already asked for forgiveness. And what did Joseph do? Not a trick question. What did he do? He forgave them, and they're living together in harmony. He's taking care of all of their needs. Things are great, but they're holding on to this little bit of awkwardness, right? 
They're saying, hey, what if Joseph hasn't really forgiven me? Why do you think maybe they thought that way? I have a theory. When they forgave people, they didn't really forgive people. And I don't know about you, but there are definitely times in my life where if someone does something to me, I say, oh yeah, I forgive you, but I'm still cautious. I still think, yeah, I forgave them, but they could hurt me again. And that's what the brothers think. They think, hey, Jacob maybe held the whole thing together for us, and now that Jacob's out of the picture, Joseph, he may just wipe us out. So we need to go grovel again. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions. Does that seem kind of strange to anybody? Yeah, we we just got Jacob's last instructions. I'm not going to say that they're lying here, but your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph, even though Jacob gave Joseph very specific instructions just one chapter before. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Kind of strange, huh? Yeah, like they know what it feels like to have done something wrong to somebody and know, hey, that weirdness is always going to be there between us. Like, there's always going to be some bad blood. We're always going to be wondering, am I back in your good graces? Are you ever going to be to the place, Joseph, where you could really, truly, fully accept us? And so the brothers are concerned, and they do what a lot of people do when they know they've made a mistake. They lie. Now, from your vast experience, Does lying ever make what you did originally better? (laughs) Not when you get caught for the lie. Never. Never. Never does any good. Why? Because then the person's mad because you broke whatever you did to start with. And then you lied. You showed, hey, couldn't trust you even post doing that and so joseph's brothers they show they say hey your father said this to us just forgive us just forgive us just forgive us and i think joseph's answer to them joseph's answer is so point hey guys don't don't miss this point joseph's answer is so telling to the character of who god actually is Here's what Joseph said. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. He wept. Do you think he wept because he was mad at them? No. He wept because he had already taken that step. He loved them so dearly. He was saying, I'm willing to even in this moment forgive you further. Hold on to this statement, Joseph wept. We're going to come back to that. 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. He says it the second time. Do you know why? Because that's what drives us in those moments. In those moments when we break trust, when we break a relationship, we tend to be driven by fear. By fear of being found out, by fear of being caught, by fear of being revealed for who we actually are. And Joseph's saying right here, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You can trust me. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, this is a nice story, right? It's a story of brothers coming together. And at the end, we expect there should be like some like rainbows and butterflies and everyone's happy, right? But I think it's a real, it's a story that can be real easy for you and I to look at and say, okay, that's a nice story, sounds good. What does it actually have to do with me? This is like thousands of years ago. What what does this actual instance have to do with me right here today in 2016? Let me ask you guys a question. Who's the main character of this story? Seems like Joseph, right? Joseph has been the guy we've been talking about since Genesis chapter 37. He, he appears pretty much in every passage as we go through here. But let me offer you something different to think about here. This actually isn't a story about Joseph. This isn't a story about Jacob. It's not a story about his brothers. It's not a story about the Pharaoh. You see, because this is part of the scriptures, because this is part of this book, it's tied to something much bigger than just Joseph. It's tied to something much bigger than just the brothers. You see, this is the story of God. The main character in this story is not Joseph. It's God. And what God's trying to do in this story, he's trying to teach you and I about his character, and about what he's like. You know, when I read that passage, where was it? Back in uh, verse 17, where it said, Joseph wept. The thing I immediately thought about was this verse. It, it was John chapter 11, verse 35. A little trivia for you. Shortest verse in the Bible. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. They sound really similar, right? Joseph wept, Jesus wept. Now, little context for this. Why did Jesus weep? He was weeping because he was at the funeral of a friend of his. A friend, Lazarus, had died, and he was sad because of the brokenness that had occurred there. You see, the only reason Lazarus died was because of this thing called sin. When God created us as people, 
death wasn't known. Death wasn't known until you and I and Adam and Eve sinned. And Jesus wept in this moment because that relationship had been broken and he knew it couldn't be repaired. And so just as Joseph weeps at the brokenness of relationship at the end of Genesis here, Jesus wept for humanity. He wept for Lazarus. But he doesn't just weep for Lazarus here. He, he weeps for me and for you. Because ultimately, he desires to be in relationship with us, not brokenness, not awkwardness. No one likes that awkward feeling. Not even Jesus. So I don't know where this sits with you tonight, but, but here's what I know. All of us in this room, we've created some brokenness in our life. We've created some moments where it's not ever going to be right. It's not ever going to be the same as to where it was. It's not ever going to be exactly what we intended it to be. And specifically with God. Some of you in here tonight, you may be thinking, I would love to maybe have a relationship with God, but if God only knew what I did, there's no chance he'd want to have a relationship with me. Some of you tonight, you are exactly like Joseph's brothers. You've said yes to Jesus in the past. You decided you were going to follow him for a little while, but if you're really honest, you've not talked to him in a good long while because you know you've been living in some ways that you would say, man, God's going to want nothing to do with me if I come and talk to him. That's what Joseph's brothers felt. They felt, hey, there's a brokenness here and I'm never going to make that right. I'm never going to put that back together. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that all, do you know what that really means? All. That means everyone. So let's do a little exercise. Look to your right that person. Look to your left, that person. Those of you on the back row with Pastor Jerry, that includes him. All, all of us break this relationship with God, and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. We can come back, we can get down on our knees, we can say, please God, please God, please God. We can do anything we want to do. We can run from God, we can try and live our own way, our own lives. All of us have broken that, and there's nothing that we can do to fix it. But do you know what the best part of this is? God knew that. God knew when we broke the relationship with him that we would never be able to put that back together. And so that's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to forgive us so that we could have a right relationship with him. And he didn't do that for just once. You see, 
Here's the best part, I think, of this whole cycle and story. Joseph's forgiveness for his brothers didn't end after Jacob died. There was no expiration date to Joseph's forgiveness to his brothers. In the same way, Jesus does not have an expiration date on his forgiveness for you. It doesn't matter what you did with that girl last night. It doesn't matter what party you went to on Friday. It doesn't matter what you said about your friend. It doesn't matter who you ditched, who you lied to. It doesn't, none of that matters. When God sent Jesus to the earth to walk and be with us, when Jesus then went to the cross and faced death, he took the death that you and I deserved at that point so that we could have that right relationship with God. And then three days later, when God rose him from the dead, it was made right. And because of that, you and I simply have to accept Jesus into our lives. We don't have to do it 10,000 times. We don't have to keep coming groveling like Joseph's brothers, thinking that, no, God, God's not going to love me anymore. We can trust and know right here, right now, that God still loves me, no matter what I've done to break that trust. Here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come up. We're going to worship a little bit more. But, but I really want you to spend some time as we sing this song, and I want you to get real with God. I want you to have a conversation with him, and I want you to just say, hey, maybe you're in the camp here tonight where you don't know him, and you've said, man, I can't know him because if he knew what I had done, no way. I want you to just say that to him. Hey, God, I, I feel like I can't actually know you. Maybe You've known him, you've tried to follow him, but if you're honest, the two of you haven't talked in a really long time because you feel like one of Joseph's brothers. Maybe you know a friend that sits in one of these camps, one of these categories. I want you to just pray for them during this time. So let's do this. Let's pray, and then the band will come back up.